ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Another episode, and today I'm thrilled to have with me Kai Gray. Kai, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to so, be here. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. So I came at this in a very interesting and weird way. And my background is actually in software development and the technical side of, of the world. So I had been living in Northern California in Silicon Valley, working for tech startups for the past decade. And my last company, we, we sold it to a very large multinational. And as I was approaching my sort of my earnout period where I was really looking for the next thing to do, it, I really spent a lot of time thinking about what, what was meaningful to me, what I really wanted to do. What I came to realize was that it, it was not building more servers and more software necessarily for the sake of more software. It was doing something where I was proud of what I was doing and that I felt like I was contributing to a better something. And I hadn't, I wasn't sure what that something was, but it was th that I needed to have that feeling. And we were going through the period, that, this was 2019. So there was a lot of things going on. There were riots in the street. The skies were turning orange from Oregon ash, Oregon wildfires. And you had COVID going on, the Me Too movement. There was just a lot of things going on. And, and I just felt like the time was right for me to pursue something that helped in any of those directions. Climate change was definitely top of mind, but it was really like the world's going through a, a unique change right now. I, I would like to help in some way. And, and I'm always very hesitant to think I want to change the world. I think that's a very bold statement, but there's certainly the notion of I, I want to contribute to that, to some betterment of that. And so I knew nothing about ESG at the time. I was very, I was truly uninitiated. And it just so happens that one of my younger brothers had done his PhD at Oxford 15 or 17 years ago in corporate social responsibility and was extremely well-versed and an expert in ESG. And he and I spent a lot of time on the phone talking about it. And I thought, boy, this is a really interesting thing that not a lot of people know about. Four years ago, ESG was not a it was not a mainstream topic at all. This was a sort of a purely academic conversation. What was interesting was that there was a lot of data around ESG. A lot of data had been amassed over many years. So ESG wasn't new, but it certainly wasn't it wasn't mainstream the way it is today. And it was by no means was it a political topic. And so I became very interested in ESG in, in, from the data side, that there was this, there were multiple data sources collecting this information on public companies, and most people didn't know about it. And so that was my first introduction to it. And with my brother, he and I started Motive four years ago with this idea that we were going to build software, and it was going to, it was going to be designed to help companies with basically managing ESG data, whatever that meant to them. And there was a lot of different things. And so that's how I came to 
where I am today, but a very orthogonal path, let's say. So you brought us up to 2019. What is your current role today? Today, I am the CEO of Motive. So tell us about Motive. What got, did you guys decide to found? So it, it's a great question. When we first, the first thing was this idea that there's got to be a pony in here somewhere, right? There's so much data and there's so much confusion around it. There, there needs to be something. And so when we first got into it, we started building a consumer application that said, okay, what if we use ESG data to allow consumers to understand the brands they're buying from? Do they align with their values? Vote with your wallet type thing. So when you shop, you would see ESG scores would pop up from the brands that you were, that you put in your cart and, and we would know what you cared about from when you signed up. And we would say, this company may not align with your values. Here's some other ones that do a better job. Thinking that, we could use this data, go back to the brands and say, hey, this is what people really care about. This is, you're saying this, but people are doing this. And so we built this, the, it was a browser extension and we really liked it. We started talking to companies about it and they said, eh, we're not really interested in your data. You're a tiny little company. We're a huge company, but you guys seem to know a lot about ESG data. And we'd like to talk to you about that. And so the first couple conversations we said, you know, we're, we're building this consumer application. We're not trying to help enterprise companies figure this stuff out. Probably the third conversation is, okay, sure, we'll talk to your team. And so we started talking to them and they said, okay, we, we have no idea about rating agencies. We don't know, we're really lost in this. And around that period, we said, boy, this seems like the sort of the business is screaming out to us, go this way. And it turned out we knew nothing about building consumer apps. We had a lot of experience in, in enterprise software and enterprise services. So we went down that path. And so we started building a pretty robust ESG monitoring platform, I think is the best way to categorize it, for public companies to help chief sustainability officers understand their ESG ratings and to help optimize those. And we were really focused on disclosure data. So we went out, we licensed a lot of ESG data from the rating agencies, and we built this platform. As we matured and we were fortunate, we got some early clients, we got a lot of good feedback. What started happening is it wasn't public companies that were calling us, it was private companies. And it was private companies that were in the supply chain of a much larger company. They're in the value chain. And they said, hey, we just got a... a a demand for an ESG report from our tier one supplier. And we have no idea what that is. Can you do that? And it, again, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, the first conversation we said, oh, it's not really what we do. Second conversation, we said, no, it's not what we do. Third conversation, we said, yep, that's what we do. That's, we're now helping private companies with their ESG. And it turned out that some of those private companies were portfolio companies of large private equity firms. And one of those private equity firms got a hold of our report. They gave us a call and they said, we think this is really interesting. We are, this is a year and a half ago, two years ago, said, we're really interested in doing this portfolio wide. We have a lot of questions. We'd like to talk to you about it. And that started our, our current trajectory, which is 
has been helping private equity companies and their portfolio companies manage ESG disclosure data, ESG reporting, things of that nature. So it, I guess I heard several different things in there. I heard actually not maybe not benchmarking, but at least internal investigation to see what we have ourselves that would fit within the overall ESG framework, where we are, of course, where gaps might be, which would allow us to remediate, monitor, and continuously improve. Would that be one thing I heard in there? Yeah, 100%. A second thing I heard was this would allow us to report to others. Those others could be regulators. Those others could be banks, private equity firms, insurers, our customers. Did I hear that as well? You heard that as well. And (laughs) then I heard a database of information that a potential investor, whether that be a bank loaning money, whether that be an insurance company wanting or looking at potentially insuring a customer, shareholder, someone like you or I, or a private equity firm would have a standardized measure that they could look at a variety of companies. And if they wanted to, to take a deep dive into one company to evaluate it from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. Um, this is precisely, and I think that as you've observed, this is the reason why for our corporate clients, I would say half of them, ESG is being led by the compliance department. And which makes this a very interesting sort of intersection of topics. Before I get to the compliance intersection, I want to explore one other. I come out of an anti-corruption compliance world. Mm. And Mm. in the anti-corruption compliance world, there was a very large amount of enforcement actions in the first decade of this year centered in the energy industry. So, of course, the regulators did their thing and brought prosecutions, fines and penalties, et cetera. But my observation was the business response was that energy companies said, if you want to do business with us as a supplier, as a customer or as a sales agent, you have to have a compliance program. So it literally drove compliance all the way through the supply chain. And that's what really made the difference. It was the business requirement that to do business, you had to have a compliance program. I am seeing something similar to that in ESG, which is because there are no standards yet in the United States, there are in EU and the UK, it's businesses who are demanding this information. Is that what you were seeing in your market? Yeah, yeah. and that's what's driving our corporate customers to, to call us. Like I said, when private companies reach out to us, it's not because they're beholden to external investors, or they're not public companies, they're private companies. And they are, they're focused on their business. And so we very much look at ESG as a business driver, as opposed to an overhead, because we think that when you have a good ESG program, you open up the opportunities to your business. And so our, one of our very first Corporate clients was a very large company that that serviced one of the one of the big energy companies, big oil and gas companies, and th- they called and said they're our main customer and we can't bid on their projects anymore unless we have an ESG report. And they're they were a billion dollar company, right? They had three thousand employees and they were absolutely going to do this, right? That wasn't a question. They th- this was now a mandatory thing. It wasn't a nice to have. 
And so I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing the very large customers, the enterprise customers who have well-defined ESG metrics and programs are driving this down through their supply chain. And the first stop was their sort of tier one suppliers, then the tier two suppliers, and it's getting to the, I'll call them the mom and pop suppliers. Less so because those folks don't necessarily move the needle that much, but it's definitely, it's reaching that here. And we'll talk a little bit about it, but we're based in Alabama in Southern Alabama. And there was a, there was a big case in the news. So Hyundai is a big supplier or a big employer here in Alabama. They make a lot of cars here. One of Hyundai's, one of Hyundai's suppliers got caught using underage employees, kids, kids as, as young as 12, I think it was a huge deal. Right. This is you can bet now that there there's no more bring your kids to work days at Hyundai suppliers. Right. There's they have now Hyundai cut that supplier and has just gone on a sort of a rampage with their supply chain to make sure that never happens again. Right. They don't want to end up on the front page of anything except for most car sales. And so I think that we're seeing this. We're seeing companies being driven to do this for business reasons less from regulatory reasons right now, but that's, I think some companies are anticipating the regulatory issues. And so they're getting into it now because of that, but we're closely monitoring DOD, GOA, NASA provisions that are starting to demand this of certain suppliers. So it's really just going in in many different directions, but it's definitely, it's touching all businesses. And certainly for our private equity clients, they're doing, and that's a a universe of people that are solely focused on on return on investment. This is, and they are doing, they're interested in ESG because their investors are usually large asset managers. Certainly the the larger private equity firms have large institutional investors that, that care about this and particularly the European institutional investors who are demanding this. And so private equity firms who want to raise money from European asset managers are they're integrating ESG into their investment evaluations. Let's turn to the intersection of ESG and compliance that you've observed. You mentioned that often you're talking to a compliance officer or compliance comes up. Could you tell us about those conversations? Sure. Yeah, I think that... ESG has more in common with compliance than any other any other corporate group. So what's interesting is I have a similar conversation with CPAs, with legal folks within companies. I would say that it's split maybe evenly across those groups. And all of them ha- have this, uh, their perspective is this is in our domain. We should own this quote unquote from a corporate perspective. But compliance is the area where it's most aligned because at the heart of ESG, it's around disclosure information, right? It's around transparency and reporting, which disclosure, transparency, reporting are all sort of key compliance terms more than anything else. And so we end up working with compliance officers. I think they understand ESG better than 
the other groups because they're very used to the idea of reporting. They're very, in, very used to the idea of complying with these things and making sure there's a framework and an auditable monitoring, metric gathering, those types of things, which are really at the heart of ESG. And it's always, when we're talking to compliance people, it's a very easy conversation, right? They understand the nuts and bolts of what ESG is, as opposed to maybe the marketing folks, right? Who who see it as something very different. ESG is still new enough in the world that it's not yet it's not, hasn't found a home in, in, in the corporate landscape yet. But I, my personal opinion is that it, it lives in the compliance arena, whether that's the compliance officer, I think it is, but I can't say for sure, but that's where I feel like ESG has a natural fit. Is ESG redefining the role of compliance or perhaps influencing the role of compliance? I think it's influencing it. I certainly see ESG as expanding the role of compliance. Maybe that's a better term. It's expanding it because you're talking to a different group of people or an extended group of people. You're now talking to external stakeholders and incorporating their feedback into evaluations. I think that it's, it's not... It's different in that it's ESG is considered a non-financial metric or an extra financial metric. So it's not dealing with finance or ethics per se, but I believe that we're going to end up in a situation where ESG has a SOC 2 nature to it. You can't lie. Like that, that's where I think that compliance is absolutely going to intersect with ESG. And we're seeing this in the EU where greenwashing now has punitive penalties associated with it. In the U.S., we don't, and we're probably a few years away from that. But I think as ESG matures, becomes better understood, there is going to be the SEC, every year there's more and more discussion around ESG at the SEC level, where you can't misrepresent what you say in your ESG reports. And I also think ESG is headed towards an integrated report with financials, which is going to land squarely in in the compliance world. And so I think for compliance people, understanding what, how ESG works becomes a critical part of the job. I see ESG as essentially a business process. And that business process is not that businesses weren't looking at components in the E, in the S, and the G before. But you generally did not have one person or group, if it's a committee, overseeing all of those. And by having one person or group oversee all of those, you can have a better strategic plan around your overall risk management. Do you find that to be a fair assessment or do you see ESG in another light? No, I think that's fair. I I would say that the, the good and the bad of ESG is it's a very broad set of metrics, right? There's, we track as a company, we track close to 200 different metrics within the ES and G. And, you know, that for any company, there, there's very few organizations in a company that have that breadth of topics that they touch on all of those things, right? From community engagement, all the way to financial reporting, to, to board level activity, 
to to diversity and HR component. And so I think that companies, I, I don't, we see companies taking different paths right now. The person who ultimately owns ESG and manages it has to be fairly well-versed across the company, right? Because you're going to touch a lot of things. And this is what makes it challenging. It's also what makes it particularly exciting because it's a very unique view of companies. Because again, I can't think of another role that has quite the breadth of that. It's also what leads every group to feel like it belongs with them. So CFOs say, hey, no, this is about, this is, ends up in our financial reports. It needs to be with us. Marketing says, no, we issue a big a public report every year. We need to, that has to look that has to look pretty and say the right things. The, the HR departments, HR has a critical role to play in all of this. So this is what makes ESG very challenging. But I do believe that it's a unique position that if done well and at a senior enough level, you're going to have, I think you nailed it, where, you know, it becomes a very strategic perspective. Let me ask you to turn and look down the road to 2030 and beyond. Do you see a continued growth and expansion of the reporting or something different? I think there'll be a growth in reporting. Like I said, I think we're headed towards an integrated report. Some of the bigger companies, Coca-Cola issues one, I think Dell issues one. This is becoming, and those are just two examples of many that, that are now integrating their ESG report into their their annual reports. I think that's the big change that we're going to see. And once that happens, I think it opens up new challenges, new opportunities. It it adds weight to ESG when you start to add it into your financials. So that's the big thing that's coming. I also think that we're headed towards a lot of the regulatory landscape is going to change pretty radically over the next five years seven i mean by 2030 i think it's going to be very different than what we have right now in the u.s it's a very it's very much a voluntary based process i like i said the eu is i always think it's five years ahead maybe it's three years ten years i'm not quite sure but it's definitely they've adopted it it's a much more serious thing in the eu there's a lot of sort of governing bodies around this i think we're going to end up adopting a more of an eu regulatory framework over the next five years here in the U.S. And and I think we're going to see more and more for in in the ESG world, we're going to see more and more analytics and more data providers similar to us in a way, but providing new and different types of analytics into ESG. I don't know that ESG ratings are going to have the same impact that they have today. That's the, in the ESG world, it's, there's reporting and frameworks and that, and then there's the ESG rating industry, which is just like a consumer credit industry. You have all the major players, S&P, Bloomberg, Moody's, everyone issuing ratings. They're not well understood. They're very intentionally murky. I could see their impact being diminished over the next 10 years. Guy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or any of the topics we've touched on or motif, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Sure. I think the best stop is our website, just www.esgmotive.com, all one word, ESG Motive. 
and certainly feel any of your listeners feel free to reach out to me. It's just Kai K A I at esgmotive.com. I'd be happy to talk to anyone who has further questions. It's a topic I can obviously talk about all day long. Kai, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you for having me. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. The ESG Report is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the network, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Hope you look forward to the next episode of the ESG Report.